بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله رب العالمين يقص الحق وهو خير الفاصلين وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن سيدنا ومولانا محمد عبده ورسوله إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلم وتسليم رسالة رسالة اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد. So here we are in our 32nd session on our uh, in our series Islam's greatest personalities and we comment today the story of Prophet Musa alayhi salam which will most likely cover almost over 12 sessions inshallah the story of Musa alayhi salam is mentioned in 28th Jews of the Quran from 38 Jews. Most of the Jews of the Quran discuss the story of Musa alayhi salam. So we will need at least 12 sessions, I think, to cover uh, briefly the story of Musa alayhi salam, or stories, should we say, of Musa alayhi salam. So, who was Musa alayhi salam? So his lineage is given Musa bin Imran. So he's referred to as Musa, the son of Imran. So Musa bin Imran, bin Qahith, bin Azir, bin Lawai, bin Yaqub alayhi salam, bin Ishaq alayhi salam, bin Ibrahim alayhi salam. So this is the lineage given of Prophet Musa alayhi salam. Now, the Bani Israel, who we refer to as the Israelites, the children of Israel, meaning the children of Yaqub alayhi salam. So Yaqub alayhi salam had Ishaq alayhi salam and then Many, uh, sorry, Yaqub alayhi salam had Yusuf alayhi salam, and besides him, there were 12 brothers, as we know. And from them, they had, there were many, many children that were born, and they are all referred to as the Bani Israel. So the Bani Israel took up residency in Egypt. How did they take up residency in Egypt? We discussed previously the story of Yusuf alayhi salam. When Yusuf alayhi salam invited his father, his mother, his brothers to Egypt, from then onwards, many of them remained in Egypt and they took up residency there. They had their children there. So Bani Israel, you found many of the Bani Israel started to live in Egypt for many, many, many years. So the Egyptian people at that time were known as the Coptics. Qibti. In, in Arabic, we say Qibti. Okay, Qaf Ba Taya, and in English we say Coptic. Even now you have Coptic. A lot of the Coptic Christians are there in Egypt. So Coptic, these were the Egyptian people at the time. And then you had the other group of people that were the Bani Israel, who came from uh, the land of Asham originally, uh, where Yaqub alayhi salam was from. So, and they live side by side. So you've got these two large communities living side by side. So you've got the, the, the Israelites, the children of Israel, and you've got the Coptics living side by side. Now, that was fine, and they were living perfectly fine in harmony until the time of the new leader, Fir'aun. Fir'aun was the title given to any Egyptian leader, like Pharaoh. Pharaoh means Fir'aun. Obviously, he had his own name. So when Fir'aun, that particular Fir'aun, came into power, things changed. He was a tyrant. He was an oppressor and he decided to take the people of Bani Israel because they were not from amongst the Coptics. Fir'aun was a Coptic, Qibti. He was not from Bani Israel. So he decided that his people are better than the Bani Israel. So the Bani Israel were all taken as slaves. They made all the Bani Israel into slaves. They all the difficult work, the hard work, the labor was carried out by the Bani Israel. They were oppressed and they were persecuted, they were tortured, and they lived a very miserable and disgraceful life under the rulership of Fir'aun. This is the Bani Israel. So for many, 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 many years, they were all, they all lived as slaves in slavery and a very disgraceful life, treated very, very badly and overworked. And this is the difficult life that they went through uh, under the rule of Fir'aun in Egypt. Now, the scholars of Tafsir, they mentioned uh, that, and many of the Sahaba have narrated this as well, that Fir'aun, who was the king of Egypt at the time, he saw a dream. 
And in the dream he saw that from Baytul Maqdis there is a huge fire that's approaching Egypt towards the palace of Firaun. This massive fire is coming towards Egypt from Baytul Maqdis and it burns all of the houses in Egypt that belong to the Coptics. And all the houses of the Bani Israel, they were left untouched. This is the dream that Firaun sees. When he woke up, he was very scared and frightened. So he called the sorcerers, the fortune tellers, the magicians, and he asked them, tell me about my dream. Look, I've seen this dream. What does it mean? And they said that it seems that there's going to be a child that will be from the children of the people that have come from Baytul Maqdis and on his hands, your kingdom is going to end. So this drove him crazy. And he said that what we need to do is all of the male children, they need to be killed. Leave the women and leave the men, but any male children, boys that are born, so that this doesn't take place. In order to prevent this from happening, we must kill all of the boys that are born. So now Fir'aun is making all of his efforts to try and make sure that this child isn't born regarding whom he has seen this dream. To the extent soldiers were sent out into all of the areas and to do a personal check on every household, to go inside the house. Do you know how they do nowadays in Palestine? You're seeing, okay, they're breaking, raiding into people's houses, ransacking the homes. Yeah, this was done to them many, many years ago. So Fir'aun is ordering the soldiers to go into the houses, break into the houses and check every woman to see if any woman is pregnant. And if she is pregnant, then they would find out how many months you have left, how many days they are left. And they would arrive, they would make a note, they would arrive on that day or around that time. When the baby is born, they would check. If it's a girl, they would leave the girl. If it's a boy in front of the mother and father's eyes, they would kill the baby. And like this, thousands of babies were killed. Why were thousands of babies killed? Just so that one baby isn't born. That one baby doesn't survive on whose hands Fir'aun and his kingdom is going to end. So this continued to happen. And it continued for some time. So children were being killed left, right and center. Some of the scholars have mentioned that the Coptic people actually found this very gruesome. And they didn't agree with what Fir'aun was doing. And they complained for their own benefit because they were saying that the number of people in Bani Israel are decreasing. Uh, who's going to do all our work? If you kill all of the boys and women, you know, it's limited what they can do. What the, there'll be no men and we need these people to do all our work for us, to, to slave for us. And if you're killing all of the boys, then who's going to do the work? So then they looked into it and they decided that the best way to go about this is one year we'll kill all of the boys and one year we won't kill any boys. And like this, they started doing it alternate years. So in one year, every boy that is born will be killed in front of the parents. And one year they decided not to kill the boys. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it such that Prophet Harun alayhi salam, the brother of Musa alayhi salam, was born in the year in which children were not being killed. And Prophet Musa salam was born in the year that children were being killed. Now, all this is being done, why? To ensure that Musa salam does not survive. He does not live on and he doesn't grow up. But he made a plan and Allah had a plan and Allah is the best of planners. So this continued to happen. Now, <clears throat> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala informs us that he wanted this to happen, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made it such that Musa alayhi salam was born. Now, when he, the mother of Musa alayhi salam, the mother of Musa alayhi salam is also very significant because Allah mentions her in the Quran. And Allah not only mentions her, Allah mentions her by saying that we sent wahi to her, meaning we Allah spoke to her. So she's a very noble woman. So the father of Musa alayhi salam is Imran, uh, different from different from the father of Maryam. Okay, that was also Imran. This is a different Imran. So we've got two Imrans now. And this uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Qasas, He says, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّ مُوسَىٰ أَنْ أَرْضِعِي 
So Musa alayhi mother, she was expecting when the soldiers came around, they couldn't really tell. Some people you can see the bump very clearly, some people it doesn't show as much. So it wasn't very clear. Musa salam is born. Allah subhanahu now obviously she's frightened. She's scared as anything, like any mother would be. Especially when you know that your baby is going to be snatched from in front of you and will be murdered. Allah says, we inspired the mother of Musa to nurse him. Don't worry. Feed him. Nurse him. You're the mother. This is your baby. You've got the chance with the baby. Nurse him. Allah told her the scheme. Whenever you're scared for him, meaning you... You can sense the soldiers are coming. Throw him into the river. Put him into the river. Allah says, Do not fear and do not be sad. We will return him to you and we will make him from amongst the messengers. So, this is the message Allah gave to the mother of Musa. Now, Imam Al-Qurtubi rahmatullahi starts a discussion over here. We sent wahi to the mother of Musa Was this wahi as we understand wahi? And does that make her a prophet? And were there any female prophets? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, This is the mainstream opinion that prophets were only males. So this wahi doesn't make her a prophet. Wahi over here meaning an inspiration. Allah placed this in her mind. Allah placed this in her. He, she heard the sound. It wasn't necessarily the wahi of prophethood. Just like we have the hadith of Sahih al-Bukhari regarding those three people. You know they have the three people, the bold man and the blind man and the person who had the leprosy. You're familiar with the story? And an angel came to them and said, you know, I'm in need. Give me this and what do you want? So again, they received... Uh, ilham, wahi, meaning inspiration, that didn't make them prophets. Similarly, there was a Sahabi, Imran ibn Hussein radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and he received salam from the angels, that did not make him uh, prophet, nevertheless. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told her that you nurse him, and when you fear for his life, place him into the river. And do not have fear. What does it mean? Fear in two regards. First fear is don't fear that he will drown. And the second fear means don't fear that he will, you lose him. Two, two kind of fears. That he'll get destroyed. Okay. And then Allah says, Don't be sad. What does it mean? Again, sadness for two reasons. Don't be sad on the firaq, meaning the separation. Don't be sad on the separation because very soon he's going to come back to you. And number two, don't be sad that he'll be killed because he won't be killed. Because Allah says at the end, We are definitely going to return him to you. And not only that, we're going to make him from amongst the messengers of Allah. Now we find Ibn al-Arabi rahmatullahi says, This ayah of the Quran, this particular ayah of the Quran, min a'zami ayah al-Qur'ani fasahatan is the greatest verse in the Quran in terms of eloquence. Fasaha. It's the most eloquent verse in the whole Quran. Ibn al-Arabi rahimahullah, he says, this is the most eloquent verse in the whole Quran. Why? Because in this one ayah of the Quran, there are two commands, two commands, two prohibitions, two pieces of information, and two Items of good news. In one ayah, short ayah, what are they? There is two commands, two instructions, two prohibitions, two items of news, and two items of glad tidings. Let's look at the ayah again. Allah says in the Quran, ila ummi Musa an We inspired the mother of Musa salam to nurse him. Command number one. When you fear for his life, throw him into the river. Two commands. Have you seen the two commands? Okay. Two instructions. And then Allah says, Don't be fearful and don't be sad. Two prohibitions. 
Okay? So two commands, two prohibitions. I'm definitely going to return him to you. That's information and also good news. And I'm going to make him from amongst the prophets. That's information and also good news. So he says this one ayah is probably the one of the most eloquent verses in the Quran. Do you know anybody who can speak like that? In one sentence, have all these different elements. Two instructions, two prohibitions, two pieces of news, and two good news as well. This is the kalam of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imagine when we, if we were to just look at the Quran from this angle, there are studies which are done and scholars of tafsir have gone on to looking at how eloquent the verses of the Quran, which is just a small taster. And we don't even understand the Arabic language. If we understood Arabic, we'll appreciate it even more. But just by hearing this, you realize how amazing is the Quran of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now what happens? Now, when, when she would place the baby in a basket and then place the basket into the river, she tied a rope. She tied a rope to the basket and she would have one end of the rope, long rope, and the baby would flow into the river. And then when the soldiers would go away, she would pull back the rope. Okay, so she pulls back the rope and the basket comes back and the baby is brought back inside and she's looking after the baby because Allah told her, carry on feeding her. So this continued to happen for some time. This happened for some time where she, if she fears the soldiers coming, she'd put Musa into the basket, lower him into the river and he would go. And she'd have one side of the rope. The rope is going, going. As soon as they've gone, she pulls back the rope. Now the scholars of Tafsir mentioned one day it happened she noticed the soldiers arriving. So she quickly got Musa put him into the basket, placed the basket into the river, and the box started to go. And she forgot to tie the rope. So what's happened now? The box continued to sail. And the Quran speaks about this as it continues. And he went further than normal. And when he went further than normal, what happens? He went past the palace of Fir'aun. And Fir'aun, it, he was on the bank of the river Nile. So it says, the Quran says, The household, the family of Fir'aun, they picked up the box. Now who it was exactly, it could have been anybody. So they picked up the box, not thinking much of it, thinking, oh, this is just the box. They did not open it straight away. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, They picked up this box so that this Whatever inside this box can become their enemy and a source of grief for them. They didn't realize that they've picked up a big trouble for them. Anyhow, so they've taken this inside. Now the wife of Fir'aun, they came and brought this box inside and put it in front of the wife of Fir'aun. Her name is anybody? Asiya. Okay, Asiya. One of the most pious women in history. One of the greatest women. Quran speaks about this woman and tells us that an example for the believers, a wife of a disbeliever is Imra'atu Fir'aun. Very noble woman. Imagine, Fir'aun is the worst and his wife is the best. Can you, can you imagine how this is the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works? So Asiya bint Muzahim. Anyhow, when she opens the box, okay, what did she see? She saw the blessed and the noble face and the radiant face of Sayyiduna Musa alayhi salam with the Jalal of Nubuwa, the Jalal of uh, the uh, Musa alayhi salam. And, and she was marveled. And immediately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, what did he use to destroy Fir'aun and his army? There's different types of things. Allah didn't use anything. Like he didn't bring a big army. Allah says, Allah used the power of love. Allah placed the love of Musa alayhi salam in the heart of Asiya, Imra'atu Fir'aun, the wife of Fir'aun, and that was it. So she immediately saw this child and she fell in love with the child straight away. When Fir'aun came, she said, what's this? said, this is a, a child and uh, you know, we don't have any children. We can adopt this child and this child will be of great benefit to us. Uh, and Fir'aun says, no, 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 we should kill this child. Remember, we're killing all of the male children in this year. And she says, no, I refuse. We can't. I really like this child. I'm attached to this child. She says, this child will be a source of delight 
and a coolness for my eyes and your eyes, O oh my husband. She says, no, this child you will not kill. The scholars have said that even Fir'aun, who was such a tyrant, when his wife said no, even he backed back, back down as well. Okay? He, he was, come on, he was killing, he killed every child. Every single child was being killed. And he wanted to kill this child as well. But we got the two grooms sitting on each side and laughing. Recently married, mashallah. Allah keep you all happy. All of us happy. So, said, No, no, don't kill Fir'aun, don't kill this boy. And he was hesitant from the beginning. But she said, No. Now, look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has full control. Now, the same Musa now is going to live in the house of Fir'aun, eat in the house of Fir'aun, get clothed in the house of Fir'aun, grow up in the house of Fir'aun to go and then oppose Fir'aun later on. So the child that he's trying to kill is right in front of him. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala works. Now let's continue with the story. When Musa alayhi salam reached his full strength. So we're going fast forward now into the story. So that was the beginning of the story. And he's reached the house of Fir'aun. He lives there. Uh, and we, we'll miss out some of the parts that are not relevant at this moment in time. So Musa alayhi salam has now grown up. And he has reached the age of maturity. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, We gave him wisdom and knowledge. Most of the scholars say that prophets were given prophethood at the age of 40. Now, what happens now is, Because Musa salam, although he was from Bani Israel, nobody really knew who he was, who, what his background was. Um, but because he grew up in the house of Fir'aun, in the palace of Fir'aun, generally amongst the people, he had a good reputation. Because remember, he's from the palace, one of the palace people. Fir'aun's kind of adopted child. So he had a grand position in the people's eyes. So Quran says, one day, he, He's a grown-up man now. One day he walks, he goes into the city. And he entered the city unnoticed. People didn't really realize that he'd come. Otherwise, if people had noticed him, you know, they would make a big deal out of it. They'd move out of the way. They didn't know he was there. So he's coming and no one has noticed him. And it says that when he entered into the city, He found that there were two men who were fighting. They're having an argument and they're fighting amongst each other. One of the people was of Bani Israel. He was an Israelite from the people of Musa salam. The other person was a Coptic from the Fir'aun, Fir'aun's people. Now, The person from Bani Israel, he called Musa salam for help. He said, look, this guy is hurting me. Can you come and help me? Sort him out. Teach him some manners. Look what he's doing to me. So Musa salam decided to go and teach him some manners. He wanted to... Just tell him to calm down. So he gave, he struck him. Musa he gave him a punch. And the intention was just to calm him down. But as a result of the punch, he actually knocked him for a six totally. He was out. He, was, he, he died. Straight away that person fell to the ground and he died. And Musa salam said like, what happened there? That wasn't my intention. Immediately Musa said, min amali shaitan. This is not my action. This is the action of shaitan. He is the one who is the enemy who openly misleads. I didn't want to kill him. I just wanted to teach him a lesson. Uh, and then he turned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because it was, he didn't do it intentionally. So he turned to Allah. Rabbi inni zalamtu nafsi. Oh Allah, I've wronged myself. Faghfirli. He said, oh Allah, please forgive me. Allah says Allah granted him forgiveness immediately. Allah is the most forgiving and the merciful. So that happened. No one really noticed. Remember we said that he went people didn't know. So no one really noticed what happened. So they knew someone's died. But what happened before that? How did he die? That story was unknown to majority of the people. In the morning, وَأَصْبَحَ مُوسَى فِي الْمَدِينَةِ خَائِفَةً the next day, Musa alayhi salam, when he goes, he's worried. What's going to happen? What are people going to say? 
And as he's going past, he noticed something that the same guy who was fighting yesterday from Bani Israel was fighting again. And he started calling out Musa Musa, come and help me. This time Musa Islam got angry. And he thought, look, you're a troublemaker. And he said to him, You are a troublemaker. Yesterday you were fighting. Look, you got me into trouble as well. And today you're fighting again. So when Musa started to talk to him and call him a troublemaker, he thought that Musa is going to come and hit him now. So he blurted it out and he said, Ya Musa, aturidu an taqtulani kama qatalta nafsan bil ams? Loudly in public he said, Musa, are you going to kill me like you killed that guy yesterday? Not everybody heard that. Until then people didn't know who killed the person the day before. In turidu illa an takuna jabbaran fil ard. Musa, you want to be a big bully around here. That's all you want. وَمَا تُرِيدُ أَن تَكُونَ مِنَ الْمُسْلِحِينَ And you don't want to make peace. You're a big bully and you want to be a bully around here. So when he said this, the people heard it. Now, the rumors started to spread that it was Musa bin Imran, the one who's been staying at the palace of Fir'aun, is the one who killed the man yesterday. Now, when this news started to spread, they sent out a warrant to get Musa alayhi salam arrested. Now the Quran tells us that there was a person, this could have been a person, this could have been an angel, who came from the outskirts of the city and came running, Ya Musa, A well-wisher came to Musa salam and said, Look, the, the, the authorities are conspiring against you. They're going to arrest you and they're going to try and kill you. So I'm a well-wisher, I've come to give you advice. As soon as possible, get out of here. Don't stay here even one minute longer. You need to pack your bags and go because they're planning this already and they're going to come after you and you're going to get arrested. So Musa salam took this advice of this individual or was it an angel? Allah knows best who it was and he left. When Musa salam was leaving, فَخَرَجَ مِنْهَا خَائِفًا يَتَرَقَّبْ he made a dua, Oh Allah, safeguard me, protect me from the wrongdoing people. And he started to walk and he walked. He ran and he walked and he was scared. He was frightened because he was looking back and if anybody's chasing him and they were going after him. And he carried on and on and he journeyed for a long time, for a number of days. On foot, he carries on until Quran says, now he's reached all the way to a place called Madian. When he reaches Madian, after he arrives, he says, Perhaps my Allah will guide me to the right way. Now remember, this person has been running for days on end. No food, no water, no sleep, nothing. No belongings, absolutely nothing. He's tired, he's hungry, he's arrived into this town called Madian. And when he reaches there, Quran tells us, He found there was a well, and there were people surrounding the well, and they were drawing water. And on the side, he saw that there were two girls, they were standing on a side. So instead of him, you know, just thinking about his own self, he thought, let me go and see what the problem is. Why are these girls standing on the side? What's the matter? What's your problem? What's the issue? Look, we've come to take water from the well, but until all these shepherds don't go, we can't draw the water. And by the way, if you're thinking, why are we here? Why did our dad not come? Well, our dad is very old. Shaykhun Kabir, he was a very old man. He can't come. This is why we have to come and take the water. So, so Musa alayhi salam, he put everybody to a side. Said, Hang on, these girls are here. We must give them respect. They've been waiting for some time. And the lid that would be on top of the well, which normally you needed a whole group of men to lift up and put to a side, Musa alayhi salam lifted it by himself and put it to a side. He took, drew the water out and he gave the girls the water and said, go on your way. And he did that. And then Quran says, Thumma ila Then he thought about himself. He found some shade. 
it was very hot. He found some shade and he went and sat down in the shade of a tree. He said, okay, I, can, I need to have a bit of rest now. I've been going for so many days. I think I might be safe over here. Let me go and have a rest. And he made a dua. What did he say? Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqeer. Oh my Allah, I am in dire need of whatever good you might send down my way. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqeer. So this is the dua he made. Um, I've mentioned this many times before. I'll quickly mention it now, although we've got very little time. This is a very, very useful du'a. Many people have experienced and it's tried and tested. Du'a of Musa alayhi salam. If anybody is looking for a rishta, either for yourself or for your son, for your daughter, for your grandchild, or for anybody else that you need it for, or you are looking for a job, or if you're already in a job, you want something even better. This du'a works wonders. It's a du'a of Musa alayhi salam. And he made this dua. How do we read this dua? After every fart salah, recite Durus Sharif three times and then seven times read this dua. Suratul Qasas, ayah number 24. Okay, Suratul Qasas is part of ayah number 24. Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqeer. Seven times and then read Durus Sharif again three times. So you can read it for yourself, you can read it for your children. Uh, or anybody else that you need to read it for it, it, and you continue doing it after every Faraz Salah three times Guru Sharif seven times Rabbi inni lima anzalta ilayya min khayrin faqeer and then three times Guru Sharif again you will see Musa alayhi salam look he's at the moment he doesn't have anything he doesn't have a job he doesn't have a family nothing and as a result of this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala granted him what Allah granted him a wife first a job okay a very good job he got a contract, 10-year contract straight away, okay? And he got a wife as well, and he was a wife of a prophet. Uh, you won't get a wife of a prophet, okay? He got to work for a prophet's company, and he got the daughter of a prophet. Obviously, that won't happen now, but uh, I can see some of the elders writing the dua down. Maybe they're thinking of number two or number three. Anyhow, so this is what he said, and he prayed. Let's continue now. He gave the girls the water, the girls went back. Now when the girls got back home, their dad noticed that the girls have come back very early. What happened? How did you come back so early? So they said the whole story. So this is so many lessons we can learn from here. So this is the noble people. When somebody does you a favor, you reciprocate. This was a sunnah of the Prophet Like if he did a favor to us, we have to pay him back. We have to do something for him. So, One of them, so there were two girls. One of those girls came, Quran says. So one of those girls approached, approached Musa salam, walking very modestly in a bashful manner. Very modest walk, Quran speaks about the walk. And then she said, Inna abi yadruka. My father is calling you. Now look at this. Again, lesson from here. She didn't say, come, I'm calling you. Do you understand? She didn't say, I'm calling you or we're calling you. Or, come to her. No, she made it very clear. She put herself out of the picture. Okay, to avoid any type of fitna. She said, my father is calling you. Inna abi yadruka. Now, sometimes if somebody comes and gives you a message, so-and-so is calling you. Or so-and-so has said, give him a call. Or she said that she's expecting you at this time. Or someone's calling you. Now what happens? What happens if somebody comes and tells you? Especially if it's someone senior. Someone, maybe your, your boss, your manager, or a parent, or someone who's senior and tells you so-and-so's calling you. If someone tells you that, what happens? Fear. Straight away, because you don't know what could it be? And your mind, okay, it could be nothing. Okay, your mind straight away, you could be enjoying the most, you know, lavish meal. You, you'll stop eating. You'll stop eating. You might be enjoying yourself at the most exotic location, but somebody tells you so-and-so is calling you and you don't get given a reason why, immediately what happens? Okay, there's such a burden. What could it be? And you start going through, did I say something? Did I do anything? Was it because of this? Was it because of that? Look how this is a lesson from the Quran. She was very clear. She said, Inna abi 
My father is calling you and she gave the full reason and explanation as well. There was no reason to leave him in suspense like we do. We tell people, you know, we don't give the... So she gave the reason, very clarity, being transparent. Full reason given, no suspense here. But he's going to go the whole way thinking, what have I done? What's going to happen? No, none of that. Very clear. Inna abi yaduuka. My father is calling you. Why? Liya jaziyaka ajrama saqaita lana. Because you took water out for us, he wants to pay you back. He wants to compensate you. So he knows exactly why he's going and what to expect. And this is a great lesson we get from here of not leaving people in suspense. So in Abi Yaduka Liya Jaziaka Ajrama Sakaita Lana Falamma Jaahu. So now what happens when Musa alayhi salam is going, he says to her that okay, obviously I don't know where you live, you know where, where you live, but this is not right that you're walking in front and I'm walking behind you. So instead what you'll do, let me walk in front. Okay, I want to respect you. So out of your respect, you walk behind so I don't unnecessarily have to keep seeing you and, uh, and, and your modesty is maintained. And if you want me to go towards the right, then throw a pebble towards the right or just say it that way. And if it's left, this way. So two things they had seen. One thing they had seen how strong he is when he lifted the lid. And they saw that he was very trustworthy and honest because they're going on a journey, the strangers, you know, lengthy journey here. Anything could have happened, but he maintained his trust. So when they arrived, who was the father? Prophet Shu'aib alayhi salam. Quran says, وَقَصَّ عَلَيْهِ الْقَصَصِ When Musa alayhi salam arrived to the house, he sat there and he told the whole story from the beginning. Everything that happened. This happened, I killed this guy and the next day, you know, I was worried and, and, and then that guy was fighting again and this is what happened. And another great story lesson that we learned, especially during this time when we're going through Mental Health Awareness Week, is a lot of times all people need is an ear. They just want you to listen. A lot of people, they don't want solutions. They don't want your answers. They don't want even your help. They just want you to listen. And just like we're good at speaking, we should be good at listening as well. And it's, it means a lot to some people where you just listen to them and they feel better. So Shu'aib look, Musa was going through this whole difficult period, right? All these days and all these problems. And look, he's in no man's land. He doesn't have a penny in his pocket. He doesn't have any food. He's arrived here. He's told all of his problems. Shu'aib listens to everything. And after listening to everything, he says to him, La takhaf. Musa, don't worry now. That's the past. Your past doesn't define you. That's not who you are. That's gone now. It's done. Onwards and upwards now. In the main thing is that you've been saved from those wrongdoing people. Now it's time to move on. Can you see this is Quran? Very therapeutic Quran is. But we don't study the Quran. We don't look at the Quran. We want to go to other means. Quran has, is an amazing... Uh, these ayat are very therapeutic if you look at them in this way. Now, one of the girls said to the father, Dad, we need workers to work in our farm, in our orchard. Why don't we hire him? And again, she didn't just say it because if she would have said that again, open-ended, dad could think like, what's going on here? Why do you want him to be hired and no one else? She gave the reason and explanation, clarity. The best type of worker and employer you could get, employee you can get, the best person you can get to do any job is two qualities you need. Number one, strength, meaning the ability to work. You don't want somebody who's lazy. You want somebody who doesn't want to do any work. You have to force them to do their work or to finish. Okay, so one number one, ability and strength. And number two, honest and trustworthy. Okay, so... And they'd seen this. Remember the two examples that we mentioned, they had seen and noticed this. And again, this is a lesson. If you're looking for somebody to work for you, well, these are the two qualities that you need to look for from the Quran. <laughs> so Shu'aib he called Musa and said, okay, listen, I've listened to your story. I've given you a dua and I've calmed you down. Now I'm giving you a proposal. I want to marry one of my two daughters to you. Okay, one of my two daughters, I want to give you in marriage. 
However, before that happens, I want you to work for me, okay, for eight years. You work for me for eight years and I agree to give my daughter. So he's giving him a job. He's giving him an income. He's got an eight-year contract, okay? And then he's been offered the option of doing overtime. If you want to do 10 years, you can earn yourself some more money. Okay, that's, that's up to you. But I won't hold you to that. Our agreement is for eight years. You want to do 10 years? Okay, two more years. That's, I'm giving you this as a bonus. And, don't worry, I'm not going to overburden you. I'm not going to call you, okay, to work for eight hours and then tell you to work for 10 hours. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to agree that you're going to get 10 pounds an hour and then only give you five pounds an hour. No, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to call you like we do many a times. You call an electrician or a plumber or a joiner or a handy person to the house and you've called them for one job or on the way they're going out. You say, Bhai, ye bhi thoda kar do. Well, this, this light's not working as well. Oh, can you do this as well? Which is fine if they agree. But if, if, they, if it's just a small thing, then it's fine. But if they end up staying another one hour and two hours, and you still want to give only the 20 pounds that the guy agreed to. One guy was saying that a friend of his called him. He was a mechanic. He said, I'm really stuck. Please, can you help me out? My car's broken down and whatever. So he goes, he left his job. He was in the middle of the work. He left him, he went to do it. Now he thought it was a small thing that will just take a few minutes. He says, I was there for two hours. Two hours under his car trying to make it work and fix it. And when he finishes, Jazakallah bhai. And he went. So this is, this is uh, Musa, Shu'aib alayhi made it very clear. That, look, I'm not going, I've got ethics, right? We're not going to mess you around. If this is our agreement, this is our agreement. We're not going to get paid less. You'll be paid on time. Okay. And this is our agreement. Satajiduni insha'Allahu You'll find us to be good people. We're good people. We're not dodgy. Okay. We're not going to cheat you. So Musa alayhi salam says, okay, that's fine. This is our agreement. Contract signed, agreed. And now I know it's up to me. I can either do eight years or 10 years. That's up to me. We were, I'm not going to decide that now. I've got flexibility. I understand. And Allah is the guardian on what we've discussed. So we're using Allah as a witness and a guardian upon this. So this is something which was discussed between them. Now we find uh, many of the scholars mention this discussion happens amongst the scholars. Did Musa salam do eight years or ten years? And uh, we find Sa'id ibn Jubair says one of uh, uh, a Jewish person actually came up to him and asked him do you know which of the two eight years or ten years Musa salam completed? And he says, I don't know, but I'm going to go to the greatest scholar of our time. Who's the greatest scholar of the Quran amongst the Sahaba? Anybody? Ibn Abbas. Ibn Abbas radiallahu ta'ala says, I'm going to ask Ibn Abbas. When they went to Ibn Abbas, he says, Qadha aktharuhuma wa atyabuhuma. He completed the, the, the larger of the amount, meaning 10 years. So he did decide to go and do 10 years and he finished those 10 years working for Shu'aib alayhi salam. Now he's worked for 10 years. He's been given the daughter of Shu'aib alayhi salam in marriage. So Musa alayhi salam now has a wife. He's been working for 10 years. He's got some money as well. And now they decide to start their own life and they go. They leave the house of Shu'aib alayhi salam and they go. And Musa alayhi salam has a desire to go back and visit his own people, his own family. Where? Where was he originally? In Egypt. So they start heading back towards Egypt. And when they're going, Quran says, فَلَمَّا قَضَى مُوسَى الْأَجَلَ When Musa finished his contract, 10 years, Sara bi ahlihi, he, he's got a wife now. So he goes with his wife and he's going. And they, they go towards, they're going towards Egypt. And when they go there, they, he says, Quran says, Anasa min janibi turi nara. He noticed on the side of the mountain, a fire. He tells his family, you stay here. I'm going to go and get some fire. I'm going to go and get some fire. So they were lost by this stage. They didn't know where they were going. So maybe when I go there, that fire, maybe somebody's there. The fire is there. Somebody must have lit that fire. 
So I'll find out exactly, get directions. They didn't have TomTom Tom in those days. I'll get direction. And also, I can bring back some fire, a torch of fire, for you guys to warm up. We've been walking, we're outdoors, it's cold, and you can warm up as well. When Musa السلام, came to the valley, he came to the right bank of the valley on the sacred ground. From the bush, so there was a bush or there was a tree, he heard a sound. And the sound was saying, Ayya Musa, innani anallahu rabbul alameen. O Musa, it is I, Allah, the Lord of the world. This is the sound that he hears in this valley from the bush. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke to Musa salam on this occasion and says that, O oh Musa, it is I, Allah, the Lord of the world, speaking to you. The stick that you have in your hand, Musa, throw it down. So Musa salam, he throws a stick down. Quran says when he threw the stick down, the stick started to move. He started going crazy like a snake. And Musa السلام, got scared and he ran. Quran says he ran, he didn't even look back. He was running in one direction. He didn't even bother turning back because of fear. He's a human being at the end of the day. So he ran. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya Musa, Aqbil, come back. So Musa السلام, came back. Don't be scared. Don't worry, you are perfectly safe, Musa. Don't worry about this, don't be scared. So Musa comes back. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to him, Usluk yadaka fi jaybik. Take your hand, put it into your pocket. Put it into your pocket. And when you take it out, it will come out shining radiant, like a very bright light, without any blemish. This was a second mu'jiza and the miracle of Musa salam. So the first was a stick that he threw down and he would turn into a snake. The second Allah told him, put your hand in your pocket. When he took it out, it was shining bright. There's no blemishes, nothing, no faults with it. Very bright and radiant. Two miracles. And if you, whenever you're scared, if you take your arms and you put them by your body or by your side, or sometimes when we are scared, you put your hand on your heart. Okay, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, if you do this, meaning against any kind of fear. If you're scared, you fear, anything happens Musa in your life, you just put your hands by your side, the fear will go away. You will not fear. And we can also practice this. You're feared, you're scared, you're scared. Remember Musa salam. remember this ayah of the Quran, put your hand onto your heart and you will notice the fear going away. Allah says, these are two proofs from your Lord, when you go to Fir'aun and his chiefs, they are a group of sinful people. So these are two proofs and two signs that you're going to use to prove your prophethood and try and convince them to believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, Musa alayhi salam, he comes and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he asks for Harun alayhi salam, his brother, to also be a prophet. Musa alayhi salam had a stutter and he was saying to Allah that I know people might not understand what I'm trying to say. So my brother Harun, he's more eloquent in his speech. So make him a prophet as well. Allah says, okay, we're giving you your request. You put a request in, we've accepted it. Your brother is also a prophet. Both of you go on this mission, go to Fir'aun and go and warn him. So they go, both of the brothers now, Musa and Harun, they both go to Fir'aun and a whole conversation takes place. Quran has mentioned this. They go to Fir'aun and they say, Inna Rasulu Rabbil Alameen. Fir'aun, Pharaoh, we are, we are the messengers of the Lord of the worlds. And our request to you is, An arsil ma'ana bani Israel. The children of Israel, send them with us, release them. You've imprisoned them, you've enslaved them, you're torturing them, persecuting them. It's wrong, it's oppression, it's tyranny, and it's barbaric. Let them go, give them to us, we will take them away from here. So Fir'aun said to Musa alayhi salam, Alam nurabbika fina walidan? Didn't we raise you amongst us? You, you were a kid yesterday. I grew you up in my house. I fed you, I clothed you. I did everything for you. 
and you're talking to me like this most of your life you spent in my palace in my house in my nurturing and you're coming and talking to me like this and you did the action that you did referring to the murder Okay, and you are very great, ungrateful. What about all them favors I've done to you? All them years you lived in my palace, in my, in, under my upbringing, and you, you don't seem very grateful to me. You should be thanking me and following what I do. What I did at that time, I didn't know better. I didn't expect that person to die. And فَفَرَرْتُ مِنْكُمْ لَمَّا خِفْتُكُمْ At that time, I was actually scared of you. I'll be honest with you. I was scared of you. So I ran away from you. And after that, after I was a different person then. Now I am Musa alayhi salam. فَوَهَبَ لِي رَبِّي حُكْمًا وَجَعَلَنِي مِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ Allah granted me wisdom and he made me from amongst the messengers. وَتِلْكَ نِعْمَةٌ تَمُنُّهَا عَلَيَّ أَنْ عَبَّدْتَ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلٍ and you, is that the favor that you taunt me with? You are taunting me and you're saying that you're going to carry on oppressing the Bani Israel. That's not acceptable. So Fir'aun then said, okay, Okay, you're saying that you are a messenger from the Lord of the world. What, what does that mean? Lord of the world, what's one of them? Qala Fir'aun wa ma rabbul alameen. Musa alayhi salam and Harun they responded, Rabbu samawati wal ardi wa ma baynahuma in kuntum muqineen. You want to know who is Rabbul alameen? Rabbul alameen is the Lord of the heavens, of the earth and everything in between. He controls all of this. Qala liman hawlahu ala tastami'oon. Fir'aun said to his deputies, do you hear what they say? Can you hear them? Qala rabbukum wa rabbu abaikum al awwaleen. Musa and Harun said, not only is he our Lord, he is the Lord of you and all of your previous forefathers. Allah is the Lord of all of them. So, They said, this messenger who's been sent to you, he seems like he's crazy. He's lost the plot. What kind of language are you speaking? Our Lord is Fir'aun. How can you say anything besides that? Our Lord and Rabbul Alameen is a Lord of the East and the West. If you have any intellect and any understanding, Fir'aun becomes hungry and he says, If you are to, if you were to appoint any God besides me, then I will make you from amongst those who are in prison. I will put you in prison. How dare you believe in anyone besides me? Musa says, what about if I bring you proof? He had proof, didn't he? He was just waiting to show it. Because I've got proof to prove that I am the Prophet of Allah. And there is only one Lord who is Rabbul Alameen. So, if you're truthful, bring it on. What have you got? Show me what proof you have. So he took his stick and he threw it down and he became a massive serpent. He put his hand into his pocket and he took it out and he became extremely radiant and shining. So these two great signs he pre pre presented before Fir'aun. Some of the scholars of Tafsir have mentioned Fir'aun became so frightened he says regarding Fir'aun, he overall had a very healthy life and he didn't go through much suffering in his life. Thus, he carried out a lot of persecution on people. He says he would only visit the toilet for a number two every 40 days. But the scholars of Tafsir have written since he saw that snake, he, he suffered from diarrhea going 40 days, 40 times per day. He was petrified and scared. So the Quran goes on to mention that Fir'aun said to the dignitaries around him, He said to the dignitaries that were around him, that you know this man, this Musa, he seems like a very skilled magician. He wants to use the power of his magic and take you all out of Egypt. So tell me, give me your advice. What do you instruct me? What do you advise me to do? So they all started discussing amongst them and they decided, Arjih wa wa ba'ath fil They said, at the moment, 
let's leave Musa, leave Harun, leave them to one side, right? Give them a moment. And instead, what we need to do, we need to send recruiters into the cities for people to recruit who? To bring to you, Fir'aun, every experienced magician in the whole of Egypt they should bring down over here. So this is what they decided to do, to bring every single uh, experienced magician so that now we can challenge the magic, so-called, they call it magic of Musa alayhi salam, and then we will see what will happen. The story we will stop here and next week will continue with what happens. However, I want to just conclude on one thing. A question arises and that is why was Fir'aun so adamant and so persistent on his kufr? Despite him going through these difficulties, despite him seeing the signs, despite him knowing that he is a mortal, he's going to die one day. Why was he so what stopped him from accepting Musa salam? Because they saw so many signs, not one or two. There were so many signs that were seen, miracles that were seen. What was it that stops a person from accepting the truth? And what lesson can we take from here? Imam al-Ghazali rahimahullah has mentioned that the only thing that stopped him from accepting Iman and the truth is al-kibr, which is arrogance. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَجَحَدُوا بِهَا وَاسْتَيْقَنَتْهَا أَنفُسُهُمْ ظُلْمًا Many a times inside you accept and you know it's the truth. But the only thing that stops a person from accepting the truth on many occasions is kibr and arrogance. This is why Imam al-Ghazali rahimahullah he mentions that you find an element of kibr, arrogance and pride in every person. Every single person. And he says it is faradun ayn. Izalatuhu faradun ayn. To remove this element of pride and arrogance is an obligation upon every Muslim. You can't just leave it. You can't say it's going to go away. It doesn't just go away just like that. It can't be just left. You can't go to the pharmacy and say, give me a, me a medicine to kill off pride. Pride virus. No, you don't get anything like this. There's no vaccine. You have to work towards it. And he mentions two things that a person has to do to get rid of this. And the first one is in terms of knowledge. And the second is in terms of action. Very briefly, he's gone into detail. I'm just going to briefly mention. In terms of knowledge, he mentions that the first thing every person needs to do is recognize yourself and recognize Allah. When a person truly recognizes themselves and recognizes Allah, they will never entertain pride. For example, Quran is the best way to learn this. The Quran says, Quran says that a human being should look at what that from which you were created. A few years ago, I was nobody. I didn't even exist. I didn't exist. And then when I did exist, how was I created from a dirty fluid? That if it was to come onto our clothes, we'd become impure. We'd run away from it. This is me. This is who I am. My reality is a dirty fluid. And then I was made into a clot of blood. This is my first beginning. And then bones. And then flesh. But if, if that flesh was to be left, it would rot. It would smell. And then how was I taken out in, to come into the world? Through the private area. This is the passage. The passage through, if a person was to think, my reality is that I came into this world through two dirty passages. This is how a person comes into existence. You can't think of yourself sitting in your office, okay, and, and, and looking at your tie, and looking at your, at your bank balance at that time, and looking at your position, and the name that you've got, the title that people have given. That's a delusion. So a person should look into their origin of where I was created from. And what is my reality? And what is my reality going to be? A time, and, and when we came into the world, did we know how to speak? Did we know how to walk? None, not, none of this. Until we didn't get taught. And a time is going to come when we're going to lose all of this. I was, a time will come, I won't be able to see. I won't be able to hear. I won't be able to move. And I won't even have life. When I go into that grave, what's my power, my authority, my knowledge of no benefit whatsoever? 
So when a person recognizes themselves first of all, and then you recognize who is Allah. Does Allah need anybody? Is he dependent on anybody? Is anything hidden from him? This is the first. So this knowledge will help get rid of pride and arrogance because when a person will think, what have I got to be proud about? There's nothing for me to be proud about or arrogant about, number one. And the second is in terms of action. In terms of action, a person can take steps uh, to try and uh, implement uh, humility, humbleness in one person's life to avoid situations where you would invite yourself to be uh, come across as arrogant or, or as a proud person or, 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 or to show off or to present yourself in a way that it, it would give off something like this. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the understanding the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he would eat, he wouldn't lean. He wouldn't lean and eat. He, would, he, would, he wouldn't lean against the wall. And he, he would go down a little bit forward and he would bow slightly when he was eating. And he specifically mentioned, what did he say? Inna, inna ma ana abdun. I am a slave. I eat like a slave eats. I don't eat like a king. So this is one action from, uh, in terms of, and you look at the whole life of the Prophet ﷺ, even when he was entering Fathu Makkah in Makkatul Mukarramah as a conqueror, he says that his head was so lowered that it was as if he was about to touch the animal. Normally, when somebody would be entering as a conqueror, okay, they'd be, they'd be like this. He had lowered his head and he was praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us a tawfiq. Next week, inshallah, we'll continue with part two of the story of Musa alayhi salam. Wa akhru da'wana. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alamin.